Jesus is my sustainer. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my rescuer. Jesus is my future. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is my anchor. Jesus is my creator. Jesus is my savior. Jesus. 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 You guys good? Yeah, alright, so you've had your coffee, we're, we're up, we're ready, it's all good to go. Come on, like, it's just feeling, it's not feeling like we're all up and ready to go here, I just, so there's not, like, I'm trying, there's some energy here, but like, you good? Alright, here we go, alright, good. So, um, man, we made it. Marie and I are so thankful for the prayers that you guys have prayed for us and over us, and um, our transition in has been so smooth. We rolled into town last Friday, so we've been here, what, eight, nine days now, um, settling in our house. We hung two pictures yesterday, so like, it's, I know, I've told some of you this like in one-on-one conversations, and it's been like, wow, we've lived in our house six years, we don't have any pictures on our wall. We're overachievers. I like that's just, we're ahead of you in that deal. Um, Thank you for your prayers. It's just, it has been so good. Um, we were here last Sunday, and so we got to be part of the celebration and the send-off of Pastor Dave, Pastor Rich, and uh, it, just, it was a huge blessing to me to watch you guys love them, encourage them, send them out of here uh, with, your, with your gratitude and your blessing. I talked to both of them after the morning services, and um, they, just, they both said what a tremendous blessing it was to them in the way that we honored them um, on their way out. And so I, just, I want you to know that that was a great moment um, for us as a church, and it was also a great moment for them as, as ministers who have served us over the last couple of years so well. And so I was really grateful to be part of that. I also want to be at the front end of all this just to say a very public thank you to the lead staff, the staff team here, um, Greg and Trish, Steve and Becky. They've been carrying weight, and their teams have been carrying their weight plus some. Um, for a while, and I, I get to walk into that now, and um, guys, you have a great staff team here, and I'm really thankful to get to be part of it. Um, I'm excited about this series that we're launching. I mean, this is our first week together, and um, we're in this series that we have, like with, I have titled this myself, with great creativity, and like we've just titled this series, Jesus, um, because, because, like we're at the front end of things together here, and so I'm excited for us to talk together about who Jesus is. Really, um, if you think about the heart or the core of Christianity, it's not, it's not where you go to church. It's not how many times you go to church. It's not the moral code that you subscribe to. Like, that is not the heart or the core of Christianity. What's at the heart and the core of Christianity is a person. It's a person Jesus the Christ. So much so that Jesus prayed out loud for all his followers to hear and it's recorded for us in the scriptures. What he said, he was talking to the Father and he said, this is eternal life. That they would know you, the one true God, and your Son whom you have sent. And he's talking in that moment about eternal life, not just about living forever, but about being in this eternal quality of life as well. The heart and the soul and the core of Christianity, the the life that you and I are, are envisioning for ourselves and dreaming of having, 
Like the core of all of that is, is being in relationship with Jesus. And so what we're going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, over these next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at who Jesus reveals himself to be through the scriptures. What I'm hoping as we do is that we present Jesus in such a way that, that you and I are reminded of some things about who he is and what he said so that we're stirred up to know him better. My goal of this first series is not about like a list of things to do. It's definitely not a, hey, we've got to try harder, people. It's like it's not like there's this moral code that we're not attaining to. This is about, like, hey, hey, the heart and core of being a Christian is being in relationship with Jesus. And if we could, we could look at him and listen to him over these next few weeks, I'm asking the Lord that he would, that he would let us see him and hear him in such a way that we want to know Him better, and that we'd be stirred up in our hearts and our souls for the people who we know and love, that they would come to know Him better too. And so today as we kick all this off, if you have a Bible, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you, there's a million apps on your phone, we're going to put the verses on the screen behind you, so with all those resources there for you, I don't know what page it is on your pew Bible. Somebody, I said that last night to somebody who was here last night, texted me and told me what page it is on the Pew Bible, gave me several different options, and then said, if you use the really, really big print Bibles, it's on page 9077. So like, it's at the back of your Bible, Hebrews, but if you need to look, there's a table of contents. Just like in every other book, there's a table of contents in the front of that Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to look at a couple other verses first, but if you're in Hebrews 1, you'll be in a good place. So what I want to talk with us about today is how Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. And I find this to be good news. That, that there is someone who reveals God to people. Because, because most of us have this, like we have this awareness, I think all of us have this awareness, and some of us suppress it, but some of, we all have this awareness that there is someone or there is something bigger, more powerful than we are. We're just going to walk outside today, and creation just declares that there has to be some sort of creator. And I think one of the most important questions that a human being asks is, who or what is this person or thing that is greater than me? And left to our own, we don't come to right answers. On that, Left to our own, we don't find answers that lead to life and health and joy and peace. Left to our own, we struggle. And, and we walk into rooms of partial answers that don't satisfy. And I think it's such good news that what Jesus has done is He has revealed God to us. If you want to know who God is and what He's like, hey, we could look at Jesus. And so what we're going to do today, I want to show you from the Scriptures four different word pictures that help us understand, just kind of give us some things to think about a little bit about how Jesus makes God known to us. And then we're going to talk about like if, if this is really who Jesus is, if He's really the one who reveals God to us, like what kind of attention we should give Him and we should pay to Him. And then I want to wrap up by just encouraging us with some things that I think Jesus would speak over, speak to each one of our hearts today. 
So I want to start by giving you these four word pictures. I'm going to warn you up front, these are abstract ideas that lead to a very concrete place. So we're going to love God with our minds for a little bit. Um, when we moved in, somebody gave us a, a Minnesota coffee table book, and I was just flipping through it yesterday morning, and one of the sections is titled, Our Children Really Are Above Average. So I'm counting on that this morning. Like, this is... This is not easy stuff, and it's early, so I, ho like, I hope you've got your brain turned on. We're going to work through that, and I think these, first thing, these word pictures for me, these are something to talk about at brunch afterwards or with your life group a little later this week. I mean, this is, this is stuff to process through, and so I'm just going to hit the highlights of it for us. The first word picture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And John's writing this, he says, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you read through the first chapter of the Gospel of John there, it becomes very clear that John is talking about Jesus, and he's painting this picture of Him and saying that Jesus is the Word. And He's not a Word, and He's not some words. He is the Word. So if we think for just a minute about what words are. Like I'm, I'm communicating thoughts and ideas with you in this moment using words. I'm trying to communicate thoughts and ideas with you in this moment using words. What words are is how we express our heart and our mind. And so, so when John is writing about Jesus in the beginning, was the, when he calls him the Word, what he's saying about him is that Jesus is the, and it's not just a word, it is he is the Word. Jesus is the expression. He is the highest and greatest expression of the heart and mind of God. And I just found that, I found that to be an, a staggering thing, that, that it's not, it's not a, a thing. Words are things. This expression of the mind and the heart of God is actually a person. And, and so this, this God that we are aware of has made himself known to us not just with words, but he has expressed his heart and mind to us in a person. And that person is Jesus. So the first word picture, he is, he's a wor he is the word. The second one, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about an image. For me, it's kind of a picture or something that hangs on a wall. So there's an invisible God. You can't take a picture of something that's invisible. And so God has chosen to make himself known to us. God as a person has chosen to make himself known to us through a person. The Son, his Son, is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, if you go all the way back to Exodus and God's talking to Moses and you know, first of all, you shall have no other gods before me, right? You remember that commandment? The second commandment is don't make any images of me. And that was really, that was the first commandment that the people of Israel, God's people, was the first one they broke. Remember Moses, if you remember the stories, Moses was up on the mountains for 40 days and they were trying to figure out what happened to this guy. He's been gone a long time. And so they had this big celebration and Aaron, who was their priest, made the calves, the golden calves. You guys remember that story? So those golden calves, he makes them, and then he, he puts them in an elevated place and says to the people, this is the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And he, wasn't, 
wasn't making an idol for some other god. He was making an image or representation of the Lord their God who had brought them out of Egypt. And God had said, don't make any images of me. And the reason for that was because the image is it's such an important thing. It's like I'm going to partic- it's going to represent me and I'm going to participate there. And uh, how silly is that? People who sit on this side of things to think that a golden calf would would represent the Lord our God and that he would somehow be willing to participate with that image in relationship with his people. Like it, it in no way expresses who he is. And what God was doing is almost like when he put that second commandment in place and said, there's got to be no images of me. It was like he was putting this placeholder in for his son who was coming at that point in the future. We look back who has come for his son who is the image of the invisible God. The invisible God said, if you want to see what I'm like and if you want to know me, you want me to be represented and participate with you, it's all going to happen through relationship with my son who we know is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That's to me a great picture. Here's the third one. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. So I was reading up on this, because that one is, this one is, I don't know, it's a little harder for me to grab. It's, there's not a lot of Old Testament imagery around this that, that I could figure out anyway. So I read some old-timey theologians, and they use this word effulgence, or effulgence, is, is that a common word for you? Me neither. E-F-F-U-L-G-E-N-C-E. And what it means, I had, I'm looking all this up because I don't understand this word as I'm reading it. What it means is brightness taken to the extreme. Effulgence. I think that's a great word to know if you're here and you're in sixth grade. Like you, gotta get, you use that word this week, you're going to get an A somewhere. <laughs> so I looked this up, like how to use this word in a sentence. I've got two examples for you. Um, gentlemen, you ought to write this down. Listen to this. This is, like, this is just poetry. Those of you who are in relationship with a lady, she turned to me and the glory of her eyes fell about my soul like an effulgence. It's no help. It sounds really cool. It's no help in understanding this word. A, a ra- Here's another sentence. A radiant effulgence of light was around us, clarifying, growing. No help. Here's what, the best illustration I found. Think sun and sunshine. Right? So if... if God is the sun, S-U-N. Jesus is sunshine. He's the radiance of his glory. Like just the brightness to the fullest extreme. I mean, it's just so much so that like, today we're going we're gonna to be outside and everybody's going to talk about how bright the sun is. Well, you don't really see the sun. You see the sunshine. But nobody corrects you because, because the sunshine is the radiance of the glory of the sun. And, and Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. If you want to know what God's glory is like, we look at Jesus. He radiates who God is. That's the first in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And then it goes on to say, not only is the radiance of God's glory, but He is also the exact representation of God's being. I mean, he's like, he's the ex- not just he's a, he's a pretty good picture, but He is the exact representation of God's being. If you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. 
If you want to know his character, we look at Jesus. For those of you who are Bible readers, you read through the Old Testament and there's some stuff in there that God says and God does and it's a head-scratcher. And, and instead of looking at that in isolation, we look back through the person and work of Jesus Christ to understand who God is and what is He like. Well, He's Jesus. He is the exact representation of God's being. And where all this lands, for those of us who, who look and wonder, what is God like? How could I know Him? What... The answer to that question is God is exactly like Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I wrote you guys an email. Um, I didn't get the percentage of how many of you opened it up. That's always a fun thing as a pastor. You send an email, and we, we can track these things. We know, I suppose we could go in and actually see who, but we know, we know the percentage. So I sent you this email and told you there's this book that I read called Rejoicing in Christ. And it was written by a guy named Michael Reeves. And I read that book at the end of last year, early in this year. And it really just, I was rejoicing in Christ through that book. It's a great title because it leads to what, what he's hoping. And that was really been kind of fodder for this sermon series. So he made this quote that I wanted to share with you in there. He, he says this, he says, There's no God in heaven who's not like Jesus. And he's a British guy, so he's speaking in double negatives here. <laughs> But think about that for a second. There's no God in heaven who's not like Jesus. There's, it's, not like, it's not like Jesus is the glossy brochure, and there's this God in heaven who may or may not live up to what's in the brochure. Based on the scriptures, there is no God in heaven who's not like Jesus. The God in heaven is, if we'd say it positively, God in heaven is always exactly like Jesus. And, you know, that's why the writer of Hebrews, if you just go back just a little bit in verse 1 there, it says that in these last days, in previous days, God spoke to us in a variety of ways. But in these last days, God has made himself known to us by his Son. He's revealed himself to us through Jesus. And it's not that Jesus is the mouthpiece for God. It's that, that Jesus is the exact representation of of all of who God is. God has made himself known to us through Jesus. And so since, <clears throat> since Jesus is the Word, since the Son is how God makes himself known to us, it leads to this little application point that's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bible and you write in it, shoot, if you have a pew Bible and you want to underline it, underline Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, so somebody else can see this at some point. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Because, because the Son represents, reveals the Father. Because of this, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. And doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make sense that if, if Jesus is the one who reveals to us who God is, what He's like, and what He says, how He feels about us, wouldn't, doesn't that make sense that we would pay the most careful attention to what we hear from him. So I was raised in church. I was three years old, first time my parents took me to church, and for as long as I can remember, we were there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So I've been to a lot of church, right? and, and now this is what I do for a living, and here's what I know about me as a church guy, and I'm guessing this is true about a lot of you as church people. Like we could nod our head to that 
we should pay the most careful attention to what Jesus has said. Like we would, we would probably agree, at least as church, if you're here kicking the tires in this, you may be trying to figure this out still and you wouldn't agree, but those of us who've been around for a while, we would shake our head and say, yeah, we should pay the most careful attention to what Jesus has said. But I know about me is that's not always the case. I know it, but it's not something that makes its way into my life. And I was just kind of pondering that, thinking, okay, why do I know this about who Jesus is and how important the things he said are, and, and I don't always pay the most careful attention. And so I just kind of meandered through the scriptures about this. I found a couple of reasons, and see if any of these resonate with you. And the first one that I found is it's busyness. I mean, it's in, this is in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is on the scene, and a lady named Martha is, like, she's really busy throwing the party. For Jesus and in all that busyness Jesus looks at her and says hey you're busy about many things and you're missing the most important thing because her sister was sitting at Jesus's feet paying the most careful attention to what Jesus was saying and I mean we live in this busy world and I just I just wonder if maybe you, you know you think about yourself and you think about if your attention from Jesus has waned a little bit could busyness be the thing for you you're busy about many things but but missing the most important thing. There's another... The people of God struggle with in paying attention to God. It's stubbornness. It's a spiritual stubbornness. I mean, Hebrews chapter 3, it, just, it talks in there about today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the past. And, you know, maybe you didn't harden your heart in the past, but He's just connecting all of us as the people of God together like it's just this thing we have in common, that we hear God's voice and then harden our hearts because we're spiritually stubborn. And, and spiritual stubbornness kind of looks like, hey, I'm, I'm good where I am right now. And, you know, maybe you just kind of, you're dipping a toe into these things. Maybe you're kind of halfway in. Maybe you're just comfortable. You're in your comfort zone and you can kind of look down the moral code and say, check, 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 I got all the boxes checked. But remember, the heart of Christianity is not about the moral code. It's not about being busy around a certain kind of thing. The heart of Christianity is about being in relationship with Jesus. And so this, this spiritual stubbornness that maybe nobody else could see, but maybe, maybe for you, you know, there's, there's some next steps, there's some attention that Jesus is, like he's wanting from you and you've not been willing to give it because you, like, you kind of like how things are right now. You're comfortable there. And then there's this third thing. And this one really, like, this, this grieves me. Um, it's, some people are deceived. They're not paying a lot of attention to Jesus right now because they've been deceived. And I, I grabbed this in Exodus chapter 4. The, the people of the nation of Israel were in slavery to the nation of Egypt, and they had been slaves for 400 years. And they were, they were slaves. I mean, they were mistreated. They were... They were stepped on. They were held down. They were, they were miserable in their life. And, and Moses has a meeting with God where God appears to him in the burning bush and God says, I want you to go back and tell my people that I've, that I've seen them and I hear them and I'm aware of their circumstances and I'm coming to rescue them. And there's this amazing verse in excuse me, Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. When the people heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. There's just this, for them, there's this moment of, 
of spiritual realization that that God sees me and hears me and knows me and cares about me and he's coming to rescue me. And then Pharaoh, who was not just the king of Egypt, he's also the God of Egypt, like little g God. They have this whole hierarchy of gods and he's at the top of their, little, their list of little g gods. And so the God of Egypt, this little g God of Egypt, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 9, he says, make the work harder for our slaves so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And it just was this, this external, spiritual, real life, physical pressure on them that was present to convince them that the things that God was saying were not true. And I've seen that happen to Christian people over and over and over again. That, that like you know and you've heard that you've been seen and you've been heard by God and there's a point where you believe that He was coming to rescue you, but, but life piles on. And when life piles on, there's this voice that probably sounds a lot like your own, but it's not your voice. And it's not the voice of the Lord your God. There's this voice that says, you've not been seen, you've not been heard, there's nobody coming to rescue you, this is what you've got. Lean into this, this is what you've got. And and I think that deception is a huge barrier to us to be paying the most careful attention to Jesus. So so what I want to do is, I want to remind you, first of all, if you're looking for something to do today, out of all this, like, just hear this, not as a to-do statement, just to know this, that Jesus is worthy of your most careful attention. I want to speak against those lies that you've been told, that somehow he's not coming to your rescue. I want to, like those of you guys who are, who are just comfortable where you are, I want to say, hey, hey, Jesus is worthy of your most careful attention. That's why we made such a big deal to this point about him being the one who makes God known to us. If he's the one who makes God known to us, he is worthy of of our most careful attention. So let me tell you a few things that I think he would say to us as we sit here in this room today. All right, let me just give you a few things. The first thing, and this is connected to like those of you who might, who might be hearing a voice inside that says he's not coming to rescue you. That exodus, where God rescued his people from slavery, that is a foundational event that happened for a nation, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's happened to each one of us personally. We were... We were slaves to sin. We were held captive against our will, living in, you may not have fully acknowledged it or known it, but living in in spiritual slavery, spiritual misery. And God stepped into that and He rescued you. And it is a common thing for life to pile on to people who have been rescued so that they don't believe that there is a rescuer. And so what I would, I would say, like I, what I think Jesus wants you to hear this morning is that He does. He sees you. He hears you. He knows the circumstances that you're in. I love, he made a statement to His disciples. He told them that not a sparrow falls to the ground without God the Father's notice. Can you just think about that for a second? This, this hit me, this well, spring in Texas where we came from, I was outside and in, in the way out side. And I was the only person that I could see where I was. And there were birds fluttering around. And that verse just kind of came to my mind of, the Lord God knows what's going on with these birds out here where no human beings are. 
He just says that. He says that not a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father noticing. And then he looks at his people and he says, you know how much more valuable you are than birds. It's just this incredible thing. He sees you. He hears you. He knows the circumstances that you're in. He has compassion for you and he's coming to rescue you in that. And if you've been listening to a different voice, just on the authority of God's word and who Jesus reveals God the Father to be, you are not alone. You're not stuck. It's not hopeless. This isn't the end. You're seen, you're heard, you're known, and, and He is coming to rescue you. So know that today. Be encouraged by that. Be, like, let your faith be stirred in all that, that Jesus would say something like that to you. Pay really close attention that, he, that He's coming to rescue you. There's another thing that Jesus says. Jesus told this to a guy that we know as the Apostle Paul. It's a dramatic moment. Um, he said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. If you want to read about it, it's this dramatic thing in Acts chapter 9. And Paul's telling the story, I think, in Acts 26. And Paul's one of those spiritually stubborn guys. He was really convinced about some things. He was comfortable in some things. He was comfortable, like he was excited about the trajectory he was on in his work and in his life. It wasn't working for him, but he was chasing it, thinking if I could just get to the next thing, that somehow now it's going to be working for me. And Jesus appears to him in this dramatic encounter, and he says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard to beat your head against the same wall. Maybe if we could just put it into something that you and I might hear. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, the tone of voice that you hear Jesus say that, I think is critical. If, if, you, like if, if you see Jesus with his arm folded being smug, saying, hey, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Like, I'm enjoying your suffering. I think you're off. I think Jesus is looking at him going, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Like, I love you. I gave my life for you. And you're in this, you're in this position where, where you're going your way and you are not interested in the way that I have for you to go. How's it working out for you? It's not working out for you. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. If you're here this morning and, and like that spiritually stubborn, like you would, you would resist that label, but you know you should have it, man, I think Jesus would just say to you, it's really hard for you to kick against the goads. There's a different way that leads to life. The way you're walking, the path you're on right now, that path doesn't lead to life, I've got something better for you. It's really hard for you to kick against the goads. Come walk this other path. And, and maybe you just need to pay real close attention, the most careful attention to that statement today. Maybe, maybe he's saying that to you. And then here's this third thing. This is a really interesting conversation that Jesus has. I spent a little time trying to just sorting through it. So it's in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And Mary, his mom, is there. And those of us who are parents, and even if you're not, I mean, you can imagine in this situation, your child is hanging on a cross. And she's there. 
I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine what's going through her heart and her mind in that moment. That's her son. That's her oldest son. That's her boy hanging on a cross, and she's trying to process all that, and she's suffering with him. And, and in all of that that's going on there, what historians tell us is, I mean, scholars are pretty convinced that Mary's husband, Joseph, has died before this point because he's not mentioned in the scriptures. So Jesus, as her oldest son, really has responsibility to care for her and to provide for her going forward from Joseph's death. And so Jesus is hanging on the cross in all that personal agony, bearing the sins of the world. His mom is suffering as a mom of somebody who's going through all that. And she knows, on top of like it's just her boy, she knows that this is the Son of God who in no way deserves to be hanging on that cross. And Jesus looks at her, and, and John, who wrote that gospel, John, John's there too, and Jesus says to Mary, he says, Woman, behold your son. And he says to John, Behold your mother. And there's this, there's this handoff of her care is really what, what's happening in that moment when she's not thinking about her future. She's in a moment where like, the suffering, the pain, the grief, it's so much that like, all she can do is she's just trying to survive this moment and she's desperately wishing she could change it and fix it or something. And in that moment, what Jesus is looking at her and saying to her is, I've got you and I've got this. And I mean, we're new together in all of this. And I don't know a lot of your stories. I know some of your stories. But I don't know all your stories. But I know, I'm like, we're people. And in some ways, we're all the same. Some of us have life circumstances that have piled on to such a point where it's, it's kind of all we can do to be here this morning. And it's kind of all we can do to put one foot in forward, one foot in front of the other through the rest of this day. And what you need to hear Jesus say, and what I would just implore you to pay really careful attention to him saying to you in these moments is, I've got you, and I've got this. He's actually taking care of what's coming next, even though you can't even think about it or process it yet. He's got you, and he's got this. These are the kinds of things that Jesus, as the word, the fullest, highest, greatest expression of of the heart and the mind of God says to his people. So what we're going to do, I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage. We're going to take a few minutes together just to listen to what Jesus might say. He has a personal relationship with you. And so these guys, they're going to sing over us for a couple minutes. It's not like, don't feel like at the start, don't feel like you need to be singing with them, looking at the screen. What I really, I want to offer you just a couple of minutes of, of reflection, of listening, to ask Jesus what he would say to you today, and, and give him your most careful attention for these next couple minutes. So I'm going to pray for us. These guys are going to play, and they're going to sing, and you'll kind of hear the music start to build. And when you feel like you've, like you've heard from the Lord for today, He's spoken something to you, or, or you're just ready to stand up and say, feel free to do that. You be you in this moment. But our great desire, our prayer, our hope is that, that you would give the Lord some very careful attention in these moments, and, and He'll speak to you. So will you bow your head and close your eyes with me, and let me pray for us. And then we're going to listen together. 
So Lord Jesus, we honor you in this moment as the one who is worthy of our most careful attention. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for giving life to us. And so I pray for myself, I pray for my friends who are here, that over these next couple minutes, we would have ears to hear what you would say. We would have hearts to understand what you mean so that we could turn towards you and receive from you what you would give to us. So Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.